You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Amen. We had a joy to be here. Amen. How many would rather be in church than in the hospital? How many would rather be here than in jail? How many of you ought to be in jail? I just thought I'd check the crowd here a little bit this morning. We, we did that when I was pastoring one time. We stepped down from pastoring in September of last year. Went full-time on the road, but uh, did it while I was pastoring. And we had a man visiting that morning, Brother Coburnett, that had uh, just got out of prison the Saturday before. And uh, he's in prison. He's got two little boys. And while he's in prison, he's thinking, my boys deserve better than this. And he remembered that church. His grandfather took him there when he was a little boy. And so he came right back there. And so I'd ask, how many, how many of y'all to be in jail? And he's kind of, he's thinking, who told him? Who told him? We preached and gave the invitation. He come forward and got saved and then told me that afterwards. And so you got to be careful sometimes. You never know who you're dealing with out here. <clears throat> but we had several that got saved there that were some from different gangs and, and, uh, and things and, and, uh, and such. But, uh, man, God's, God's good. And I'm glad he saved sinners, aren't you? Because that included me. And I'm glad he does that. Brother Corbin, it's such a joy to be here. And so, so proud of you and Miss Joanna and, uh, and, and what God is doing through you. And, and you're just your faithfulness to, to stick by the stuff. And your daddy raised you well, I know, and taught you well. Thank you for just taking that mantle and keep on running that same direction. Sister Corbin, good to see you here as well. We saw you up in the choir there. That's, she's right up there singing in the choir. So that's, that's a blessing. And uh, joy to be here today, and good to see each of you. Exodus chapter 21 this morning, book of Exodus chapter 21. Good to have my bride with me today. We'll be married 45 years in January. Man, how many think that's a long time? You know, yeah, everybody 45 and under. And, uh, uh, and uh, my wife raised her hand. <laughs> she, 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 uh, she didn't really, but she, she said, man, alive. that means I've been married 45 years to her. She's been married 45 years to me. That's 90 years altogether uh, we've been married, and she probably thinks it's longer, but anyway, I'm so thankful for my wife, and you know, we, we weren't saved when we got married, and in fact, after two years, we ended up separated, and God saved us during that time and put our marriage back together and, and, uh, and all, but you know, God gave me, as a lost man, a, 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 a wife that if I were to handpick, Brother Jeremy, what I needed, in a wife, I couldn't have done better than what God gave me as a lost man, you know, and uh, uh, such. I had no idea she'd be in the ministry. I had no idea she'd be in the ministry. And uh, we are laborers together in this thing. We are heirs together of the grace of life. And, 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 and I, know, I know you realize that, and I know you've, you appreciate your pastor and his wife and have, have honored them, this being Pastor Appreciation Month, and, and to understand that they are heirs together in this thing. And though the pastor may be the one that a lot of times we're the one before you and, and uh, in things, there's a wife behind the scenes, a lot of times in the shadows. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about Peter, said that uh, Jesus healed Peter's wife's mother. Had not been for that portion of Scripture, we'd never known Peter had a wife, uh, you know. They kind of live in the shadows. Matter of fact, somebody said that's why Peter denied that he knew the Lord because he healed his mother-in-law. Um, I, I didn't say that, and I don't even believe that's true, but I'm saying somebody said that somewhere uh, along, along the line, but sometimes you don't know. We are heirs together in this. My wife writes the messages. I preach them. I mean, it works out really good. And uh, it, I'm, I'm, no, no, really, if she did the preaching, we'd never get out of here, and so just be glad it works this way. She writes them, I preach them. 
and, uh, and such. But anyway, but I, I didn't, he said it's okay to amen in the house of God. That is okay. Matter of fact, when people amen, I cut my message in half. And when they say hallelujah, I cut it down even more. And when somebody really gets excited, it goes, whoo, it's really short. Okay, no takers. I, I was going to dismiss in prayer if you didn't have a, you're here now. All right, and, and uh, if you pay attention, you, when you amen, I know you got the point. I can move to the next one. Or, or, or nod your head like this, not like this. You know, not, not like this. But good to be in the Lord's house, amen. Exodus chapter number 21 and beginning in verse number one. When you find it, if you're able to stand with us this morning, opportunity to stretch before the three-hour message. And uh, just, just, just kidding, it won't be three hours, just seemed like it. Um, no, we won't be long. Exodus chapter 21. I'm not saying I preach long, but my people used to go, Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, like that. And, uh, and all, but so hopefully it won't get that way this morning. Exodus chapter 21, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible said, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master hath given him a wife, and she hath borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Father, again, thank you for the privilege we have to be gathered in your house this morning. Dear God, we mean that from the depth of our soul. What, what an honor to be gathered in your house with your people. And Father, we just, just enjoyed walking on the, on the property here today. And listen to the choir as they opened up in song and the specials that were sung and the sweet spirit that's in this place. And dear God, we know that's not by accident. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of the man of God that stands behind this pulpit week after week. And Father, we pray you continue to keep your hand upon him and his dear wife and family and the staff. And thank you for the good church folk you've given to them. And Father, I pray in the midst of all the craziness that's going on, you just continue to bless. Father, might we be a help to this ministry today? Please allow that. We'll certainly give you the praise for all that you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. In our reading the book of Exodus, we find that the children of Israel have just come out of Egypt. They've been in bondage there. and they just come out of Egypt. The, the, the uh, Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The blood has been applied upon the doorhouse. And, 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 they, and they come out. And, and uh, 50 days later, after the Passover, they've come to Mount Sinai. And God gives to Moses the law. Matter of fact, you find, if we go back in chapter 20, we'll not read it for sake of time, but the Ten Commandments are given there. And then in chapter 21, it says, These are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. And the words judgments means the process, how to go about things, how to respond to different circumstances. It talks about crimes that are done and the penalty that will be paid for the crimes. It talks about the rights that you have and the privileges that you have. And so he said, all this is going to be laid out. And to read the rest of the book of Exodus, it gives instructions what to do if your neighbor's ox would kill a man or what to do if this happens or that happens. And if somebody breaks into your house and, and uh, you, you kill him in your house, he said, there's no blood shed for you. But if he leaves the house and you go get him, then there is blood shed because the court system should take over from there. And so instructions given and dealing with a lot of things in life. 
He talks about the moral law and he talks about the civil law and the ceremonial law is laid out. Matter of fact, get the book of Leviticus, which is still on Mount Sinai. He gives all the instructions to the priest, the, the Levitical priesthood, on how to offer the sacrifices and all that's to be done and, and all these instructions he gives and, and, and lays out before them. And yet the very first thing that is mentioned is this section we've read this morning and what we, what we refer to as being a bond servant. The very first thing recorded when he gives all the judgments and all the instructions is if somebody has a debt they can't pay and he's, he's bought, the, the debt is paid and he's to serve that man for six years and on the seventh year he can go free. But at the end of that seventh year, if he says, you know, I don't want to go free. I, I kind of like it here. My master's been good to me, and I love him, and I love my wife, and I love my children. I, I, I choose to stay and keep on serving. Then he'd be taken to the doorpost before the judges, and they'd take his ear and take an awl, and they'd drive it through his ear, and he would be a bondservant. He would serve him forever, not because he has to anymore, but because he's chosen to. It amazes me that that's the first thing that God records as he's given instructions. Matter of fact, you'll find the book of Deuteronomy, it's repeated again. The book of Deuteronomy means second law or second giving of the law. Moses gives the, the law to the children of Israel in this time. And you remember then as they come to the edge of the promised land, they sent in the 12 spies and two of them come back and said, there's giants in the land, we can't do this. And they discouraged the hearts of the people and they decided not to go in the promised land. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The Bible said 40 years, it was one year for every day they were gone spying out the land. Took them a day to get in, they spied for 38 days, a day to get out. So for 40 years, they wanted a year for every day they were gone spying out the land. And in that time, in that 40-year period, that generation has passed off the scene. The next generation now is at the edge of the promised land, and they're about to go in. And so Moses writes the book of Deuteronomy in the last month or two of his life. And it repeats to them the things that are very vital to them, when they go into the promised land. Moses is not going to be able to go with them into the land. He, he lost the right to lead the people of God because he got angry and smote the rock when God said just to speak to it. And so he's not allowed to lead them in. And so he gives them instructions that are going to help them when they get into the promised land. I kind of picture the book of Deuteronomy. It's, it's one of my favorite. I always say that about every book. It's one of my favorites. It's, it's a good book. And then aren't you glad you got a Bible? It is a good book. Deuteronomy, one of my favorites, I, I picture it, it's in the last month or two of Moses' life. He, he knows they're going to the land and he's not going to be able to leave them. So he gives them things that are going to help them. I, I kind of picture it like a daddy maybe on his deathbed. And, and, and if I knew, I just had a short period of time. My dad went home to be with the Lord two days ago on Mother's Day, or two years ago on Mother's Day. And uh, he got leukemia and they gave him three weeks to live and he lasted four. But in that time, we got to see him several times and several conversations. And I, I picture it that way as a man that knows he's about to leave. And, and, and he gathers his children together and he gives them instructions that are going to help them. He knows he's not going to be there. And so he gives them the most vital and important things. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses repeats this about the bondservant. And so I begin to wonder, what is, what is it about this that maybe we're missing? I mean, it's the very first thing before anything else when he gives them the law. It's repeated again to that generation that goes in to conquer the land. So what it is about this? So let me share with you a few things this morning. We look at this, there are several things we see. The first thing we see is that there are creditors. This man is in the position because he, he owes a debt that he cannot pay. 
Matter of fact, the Bible said he sold because he cannot pay the debt. Can you imagine the burden of that every day to have a debt that you know you could never pay off? So he owes a debt that he could never pay. Jesus even refers to this in the New Testament. He says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 25, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he began to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, all that he had, and payment to be made. Jesus refers to the same thing about the bondservant. He's got a debt he cannot pay, so he's to be sold. Matter of fact, Jesus not only refers to it, but he even tells us how much the man owed in the New Testament when he gives the illustration. Now, the book of Exodus doesn't give us an amount. We just know it's an amount the man cannot pay. Deuteronomy doesn't give us an amount. We just know it's an amount the man cannot pay. But in Jesus, when he gives an illustration, he actually gives us an amount. He said he owes 10,000 talents. Let me just give you an idea of what kind of debt that is. The average day's income in, in the New Testament days was a penny a day. Matter of fact, in Matthew 20, the owner of the vineyard is hiring laborers to go work in his vineyard, and it says when they agreed for a penny a day. So that was the average income, a penny a day. Not like we think of our penny, but it's a, a penny or a pence a day. They work six days a week, 12 hours a day. And so if you would work six days a week, 12 hours a day, six days a week, if you were to work for 50 years uh, throughout that time, you would have 300 pence. If you kept all of that aside, and for 20 years, every time you got paid, working six days a week, 12 hours a day, a penny a day, after 20 years, if you set everything aside, you would have 6,000 pence. You could pay off one talent. You got 9,999 more to go. Matter of fact, it would take you, if you made, took everything you made working every day, it would take you 200,000 years to pay off that debt. We're just saying this, it's a debt the man never could pay on his own. Could I tell you we were the same way? We had a debt that we could never pay on our own. It was a greater debt. And I'm talking about, you talk about being under a burden. I remember being under the burden of sin. Do you remember that? And I mean the burden that was there. And there's no way we could ever pay that debt. There's nothing we could ever do to earn our own way to heaven. If we could, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on Calvary. But he came because there was no other way. Matter of fact, he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We owed a debt we could never pay. We see that in this. I'll tell you something else we see. Not only are there creditors, but there's compassion. Somebody paid his debt for him. There's compassion. I mean, he paid his debt. He's bought for what is due. Now, now think about it. You talk about a burden lifted. You're under a debt. It would take you 200,000 years to pay. No way you could ever pay it in several lifetimes. And somebody comes along and pays that debt for you. Is that not a burden lifted? I remember the day I got saved. My wife and I, I wasn't brought up in church. My wife's a third generation Mormon. Wasn't brought up in church, never owned a Bible growing up. And we, uh, we got married at a young age. After two years, we separated. Her grandmother wrote a or her grandmother had gotten cancer. She was also a Mormon, got cancer. My wife had a cousin that wrote a, a church uh, bus to an independent Baptist church and told her children's church pastor about her grandma having cancer. And he told the pastor, and the pastor followed up on her and ended up winning my wife's grandmother to Jesus. 
We all noticed a big change in her. She wasn't afraid of dying anymore. They, after she passed away, they had him preach the funeral out of respect. They showed up at his church the next Sunday. He got visitor cards on all of them. He began to follow up on them. He went out, my mother-in-law and father-in-law had got some property. They were clearing it off to build a house. And he went out there and won them to the Lord right out there on the property. And matter of fact, when they went to drill for water, they told him, you'll never find water out here. And a lot of people coming in said, we can do this to find water, that to find water. My father-in-law said, I think we'll drill right there where we got the water of life. And they drilled right at the spot they got saved. They hit water and the well never did run dry. They began to pray for my wife and I, and uh, we were separated. I was in Muskogee, Oklahoma. She had gone back to Illinois, and uh, she'd made a profession and was going to get baptized. They invited me to watch her get baptized. I drove from Muskogee, Oklahoma to Danvers, Illinois to watch her get baptized. Matter of fact, I spent the night in jail in Missouri on the way there. That's why I first met your dad. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. He had a prison ministry. <laughs> Coming that back door was obvious I wasn't a church goer. Didn't smell like one, didn't look like one. I remember this, Brother Jerry, I remember they made me feel so welcome. I mean, they honestly made me feel, they weren't looking at me like, what's he doing here? They looked at me, and they honestly made me feel welcome. My daughter, her and her husband run a bus ministry up in Conway, Arkansas, at the Bible Baptist Church there, and she sent me a text the other day. She said, Dad, this man came in and sat next to me, he said, Brian had, had guard uh, duty, and, and uh, she's sitting there, and he come and sat on the pew with her and the kids, and she said, I looked over, he's got long hair, and he smelt like tobacco. He said, people kind of looking at him a little bit. She said, and, and the Holy Spirit of God smoked my heart, said, why are you looking at him? That was your dad several years ago. She said, so I reached out and tried to be friendly, and said, I just want to thank you for trusting Christ and the way that you've raised us, and Things. But I got saved that morning, watched her get baptized that morning. Boy, God got a hold of my heart. And I don't remember how I come to the altar. I just know I had to, had to get there and ask God to save me. And you talk about a burden lifted, the debt paid. I was so happy I kissed my mother-in-law. We all know that's not normal. That's a... But he's bought for what is due. Great compassion that he showed. And the man paid his debt knowing he's not going to get much in return. That takes six years. A debt that would take 200,000 years to pay off. That's like in an 80-year span, half a day. That's like if you get saved and you live another 80 years, it's like giving Jesus half a day. And he said, I'm still willing to pay your debt. But God committed his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. That's written in the context where we're sinners, and even if we choose to stay that way, he still was willing to die for us. And when he saved me and that burden lifted, there were no strings attached. He set us free. And he paid a debt that, that, that uh, he didn't owe. And, and man, it, it'd be good if it was a lifelong investment, but he, he knew he wasn't getting much in return. I know a preacher friend, Brother Earl Hughes, he was an old mountain preacher, but he was a good one. He'd get to preach and he'd say, I'm just looking for a place to land this thing. He'd preach a little while longer. So I'm just looking for a place to land this thing. He'd preach a while longer. I'm just looking for a place to land this thing. Finally, somebody in the back said, just crash it. You know. <laughs> but he said, Lord, when you got me, you didn't get much. He said, the Lord said, Brother Earl, I wasn't looking for a bargain. I wanted you. 
We had a testimony service one day. Preacher had a man on this side steps. And I'm just so thankful God's not particular. And I know what he meant by that. He'll save anybody. But I turned and said, but Brother Lee, he is particular. He knew everything about you, yet he still wanted you. He knew everywhere you'd mess up afterwards, but he still wanted you. And that day he saved me. He was looking for me. He wanted me. Knowing he's not getting much in return, there's great compassion that is shown. Then I see this. We see a choice. After six years, the man has a choice to make. Do I stay here and keep serving or do I go? I mean, he's free to go, and his debt is paid. In fact, look with me over in Deuteronomy chapter number 15, if you would. Isn't it good to have a Bible? Amen. Somebody say amen. You don't have horns to honk in here, so you're just going to have to say amen. Amen's a good word, isn't it? Well, no boy got saved. He's a Vietnam vet, lost his leg in Vietnam, and he got saved. He'd sit there in the services, and after a few times, he didn't know about all this amen and hallelujah stuff. I'm preaching along. He goes, hot dog! And somebody said, did he say hot dog in the house of God? You know, like that. That's what if you get saved, you can call him God. You can call him Father. I'd rather him saying hot dog than people sitting there looking. Yeah, he was good. He, he took his leg off one time. <laughs> that might have been a little much. But anyway, he was excited. But there's a choice to make. Deuteronomy chapter 12, or, or 15, verse number 12. And if thy brother, a Hebrew man and a Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then the seventh year thou shalt let him go out free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress. Of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. It says this at the end of six years, if he says, well, you know, my debt's paid and I want to go do my own thing. He said the master will still provide for him liberally. Did you know if you choose to run your own life, there's a God in heaven that will still take care of you? No. God's provision for me is not because I'm a good child. It's because he's a good father. And a lot of people think, well, God's taking care of me. He must not be upset. No, no, no. He's just a good God, and he's going to see you got something to eat and a place to stay because he's a good father to his children. I'll illustrate. Children of Israel, they, when they come to the edge of the promised land and refuse to go in, they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. While they're there, they are out of God's will. Yet God fed them miraculously. Their clothes never wore out. For 40, could you imagine a pair of shoes lasting 40? I wish my wife had a pair of shoes that would last 40 years. <laughs> and they only wore one pair. Oh. Wouldn't it be good if your wife only needed one pair of shoes and it lasted? Some of you fellows helped me out a little bit this morning. And it lasted 40 years. Or those nylon things they get. Wouldn't it be good if they lasted a while? Or even their hair, they get what they call a permanent, but it's not permanent. It's just temporary. But they were out of God's will, yet God still took care of them, not because they were good children, but because he's a good father. So I said, if he chooses to go out, he said, he'll still provide. But I'm not just interested in his provision. He'll provide for it. It's kind of like Moses. When, when, he, when God said, the people are stiff-necked, I'll send an angel before you. You still get the land. And I'll, I'll wipe out the enemy with an angel. But, but Moses says, no, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. I'm not just interested in God's provision. I want his presence in my life. I want to walk with him and talk with him. He's a good God. Sure he is. So there's a choice. If they go out to be provided for because he's a 
good master, and you've got a new start in life. Your debt's paid. You're going to heaven. Then we see a consideration. Exodus 21, verse 5, you don't have to turn there. It says, if he shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will not go out free. And Deuteronomy, look at verse number 16. And it shall be if he shall say unto thee, I will not go out from thee, because he loveth thee and thine house, because he's well with thee. There's a consideration. You know, this man that paid my debt that I could never pay, you don't have to be around him long before you realize he's a good God. And I love my master. In fact, I love his house. No, no, I love his house. I love coming to the house of God. This whole COVID thing, I tell you, it's done a couple things. I think for some people that have got kind, kind of got complacent, used to things, those days we couldn't meet in the house of God, didn't it stir something on the inside of you where you longed and desired to be at the house of God again? Even the driving crowd this morning, they could sit home and watch it live. No, no, no. But they want to be at the house of God. Even if they're high risk and maybe can't come in, there's something about the house of God. I love my master and I love his house. And it's been good for me to be here. No, he made some changes. He made some changes in my life, and it's just good for me to be around him. I love my wife. This is a good place for us to be as a married couple. We got saved. And I remember coming to the altar saying, we, we had a nine-month-old girl at that time, Brother Jeremy, we separated. I remember coming to the altar when, when we got saved and determined God wanted our marriage to get back together and I'd come say, God, I don't know how to do this. I've made a mess of things. I don't know how to be a daddy. I don't know how to be a husband. You got to help me. I wasn't brought up in a home that showed a lot of affection. Never heard the words, I love you. If you ask me, did your parents love you? Absolutely. We weren't abused. We weren't mistreated. It's just not an emotional. There were no hugs. Maybe a headlock now and then. There were no hugs, birthday parties. None of that. It just, just... And I could either say to my wife, that's not me, that's not the way I was raised, or I could say, God, change me. Help me be the husband I need to be. Help me be the daddy I need to be. That young lady's got one life to live on this earth, one life, and she chose to spend it with me. At the end of our life, I want her to be able to look at me and say that was a good choice. No, I want, I, want, I want to be the man that she deserves to have. And hanging around him in his house has been a good thing for me. Amen. When the preacher gets up and preaches the word of God, man, I don't get offended. I don't get upset. That's what I come for. It's been good for me. I love my wife. It's been good for her to be here, the house of God. I love my children. It's a good place to keep them in the house of God. In fact, every, every husband and daddy in this place ought to determine to be faithful to the house of God because you love him, you love your master. You, if you love your master and you love your wife and you love your children, the house of God ought to be a priority in your life. Amen. We had two boys. that we, we got six children God's blessed us with, three girls and three boys. And Somebody said, that's like a Baptist preacher. won't take a stand either way. And we've got 23 grandchildren now. Our first 18 grandchildren was nine girls and nine boys. And then the girls kind of took over from there. But our children knew we were going to be in the house of God. I had two boys that were all conference basketball players. My oldest son and 
knows, knows your preacher well. He, uh, he could dunk the basketball when he was in ninth grade in, in games. Ninth grade. Played college ball. But the coach knew. The coach knew come Wednesday night, he's going to be in church. Come Sunday, he's going to be in church. This is a priority. Because it's good for us to be here. We had some other parents on the basketball team that got upset. So it says, you know, they got these tournaments and your boys aren't going. And there's some of the star players and, and, and things. And, and I said, you made a commitment to the team. And I said, no, no, we made a commitment to God long before we made a commitment to this team. And the coach knew about that commitment to God that, that was made. No, no, now, now they're at the age. The only thing my son can dunk is a donut in a cup of coffee. But his walk with God means something today. It meant something to stay in the house of God. I love my children. So I determined to keep them in the house of God. Now there's a consideration to make. My master paid my dad and he loves me and I love him. I love my wife and I love my children. It just, we just do better when we're all under the master in his house. Then we see a commitment. If you love him and you love your wife and you love your children, he expects a commitment. He says, he shall be thy servant forever. Could I say this? It must be a voluntary commitment. Deuteronomy 15, 16, if he say unto thee, I will not go out from thee. God doesn't force himself on anyone. He wanted you to choose him. Once you get saved, he wants you to choose to serve him. It must be a voluntary commitment. It was a good thing when I met my wife and man, my heart. I saw her, I said, like Adam did when he saw Eve. I said, whoa, man. It was one thing for me to love her. But you know what makes this even better? She loves me back. Willingly. It's a wonderful thing that he loves me. But what does the Lord the God require of thee but thou love the Lord thy God with all the heart? You know what he wants? He wants us to choose to love him back. It must be a voluntary commitment. Could I say, secondly, it must be a vocational commitment. It says, and he shall be thy servant. You know this thing of being Christianity, this is not a spectator sport. We're here to serve. And there is a work that goes on, the work of the ministry goes on here. And every member of Victory Baptist Church ought to find a place to serve. Not just, got, not just being here. It's a good thing to be here. But you ought to find a place to serve. Could you imagine what would take place if everybody got involved serving? No, no. He said, if you say, you know, you've been good to me. I think I'll just stick around. Then he says, all right, then you need to find a place to serve. I'll be a vocational commitment. Then it must be a visible commitment. The Bible said they take him to the doorpost and Take his ear and take it all and drive it through. Now, I'm not encouraging everybody to go get your ears pierced. <laughs> matter, of fact, I, matter of fact, some of these piercings today just really blow my mind. I thought, I, that, I used to just see that National Geographic. I didn't know we had that in America. You know? and, and some of these were the, and I'm not critical. If you're in here and you got, I'm, I'm not critical. But, but I saw one that had it pierced here on the side of the nose. And I just asked her, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. When you take that out and blow your nose, does it shoot out the side? I'm, I'm, I'm just, just kind of curious why you'd add. She said, no, 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 no. 
But I saw one one time had pierced here and pierced here and then had a chain that went from one to the other. And I'm kind of standing behind him in line. And, and I don't mean to stare and gawk. It just, I'm thinking, why well, work would you? And my wife's behind me and she says, don't. I said, what? Don't. Don't what? Just don't. <laughs> I asked her, I said, what would he think? She said, I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't know what I was thinking. Fill me in here. She said, you're thinking about grabbing that chain. And I, no, no, really. But here's the thing. You said when they took that, they drilled that hole through. Then everybody could tell just by looking at him that he served his master. And he did it because he chose to. He didn't have to. His debt has been paid. But they could tell by looking at him that he loved his master. They could tell by looking at him he loved his wife. They could tell by looking at him he loved his children. It ought to be a visible commitment. You know, it ought to be that, that people on the outside see something different about us. How these people say, well, you know, God looks at the heart, man looks at the outward appearance, all that matters is the heart. And that's true, God looks at the heart, man looks at the outward appearance, but I'm trying to win man. They can't see my heart. All they can see is the outward appearance. They've got to see something on the outside because of what took place on the inside. Within a generation where they say, you know, it doesn't matter. God loves you no matter how you look, and that's a true statement. He also loves you no matter how you live, but it's not an excuse to live like you want, and it's not an excuse to look like you want. I'm not trying to prove God loves me. He proved that himself. He paid a debt I could never pay. He's proved he loves us. I'm just trying to prove I love him. He may love me no matter how I look, but I don't love him no matter how I look. Yeah, it ought to be a visible commitment. And could I say this? It must be a valid commitment. Verse 17 says, he should be thy servant forever. Now this is till the day we die. On the day he takes us home. Which I say, even so come Lord Jesus. My grandchildren say, well that's easy for you people to say that are already standing at the door. A man said one time, said my wife's at death's door, pray God pulls her through. And I wasn't sure what he meant on that. <laughs> I guess I could put it this way this morning. Does God really have your ear? You know why I think this was put first before anything else? Because if God doesn't have your ear, there's no need for the rest of it. We give altar calls at our independent Baptist churches. That wasn't man's idea. That was God's idea. Church was not man's idea. That was God's idea. Had a man invited somebody in our church, elderly man invited somebody to church from our church. He invited them to church and they said, well, I'm just not big on organized religion. He said, oh, you'd love our church then. As a man, as a husband, my wife needs to see me at an altar. bowed down before God, giving him my ear. As a daddy, my children need to see me at an altar, bowed down before God. No, no, I'm, I'm just setting an example. Bowed down before God, giving him my ear.
As a man, I need to be at an altar. Bowed down before God, giving him my ear. Because I love my master. Don't you love his house? I love my wife. I love my children. And I want God to have my ear. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.